Today's episode of Locked on Canucks, JT Miller finally talks about trade rumors, his contract situation, and does he really want to stay in Vancouver? And because it's Friday, I thought we'd talk about something fun, ranking the worst eras in Canucks history. It is Locked on Canucks on a Friday, August the 12th, and it starts right now. On Canucks, your daily podcast on the Vancouver Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Locked On Canucks, the show that keeps you locked in on all things Vancouver Canucks. I'm, of course, your host, Justin Pooney. I hope you guys are enjoying a week. The weekend is almost here, as it is Friday. And I, I can't wait because I get to, unfortunately, travel back to Toronto. My vacation or my time here on the West Coast back home has come to an end. So I'm kind of bummed about that. But that does mean I am one step closer to the Canucks season beginning. So today, as I mentioned, we're going to dive into the biggest topic in Canucks land all off season, and continue will be, continuously will be until... There is a resolution to this situation. That, of course, is JT Miller. He went on the, excuse me, the Dropping the Fights podcast hosted by former NHL enforcer and all-star, actually, John Scott, where he talked about a whole bunch of stuff. So we'll get into that. And you know how it is with Canucks fans. We just have to talk about the negative stuff, the negativity, and we kind of thrive off that. So... I'm going to be going through the different eras and the darkest times of Canucks past and potentially present and ranking them and how they stack up. So that will be the remainder of the show. But first, like I said, let's dive into the JT Miller talk because it's always so tantalizing. But first, I want to thank you for making Locked on Canucks your first listen of the day. We are free and, of course, available wherever you get your podcast services. So to no one's shock surprise or anything jt miller said that the canucks and him are still far apart on contract negotiations uh, i think we all understood that because from both sides now it's come from the head of the horse whether that's general manager patrick alvin jim rutherford on one side or jt miller on the other side or his agent they're far apart anyone to talk about how um you know management is new uh they've just been here for a few months so uh, they're not 100% what the vision is. Um, he's, but then he did, you know, lay his stake in his claims saying he wants to be in Vancouver. He wants a deal done. Um, but he said he has to respect the vision and whatever happens. If it doesn't line up, it doesn't line up. Um, and so, you know, he talked about how, you know, we discussed about why we weren't in the playoffs, the future. Um, you know, they were there were talks on an extension. And then he kind of, dived into the inter the the rumors on the internet that you know he said everything on the internet that the media drove themselves crazy all summer for i mean that's nothing re- real there was nothing real on the internet all summer uh there was every time a team pops up you know every time somebody said something 99 percent of it wasn't real which i think is a lie because or actually it might not be a lie because maybe maybe the islanders thing was true so that could have been the one percent that was true um and, you know, he'd mentioned how, you know, when you play in Vancouver, it's nonstop. 
You talk about how he's traded to Pittsburgh 20 times. Um, you know, he said there's a lot of BS going on, which, you know, he is not wrong. There is a lot of BS goes on in the media and, you know, out there, there's a lot of rumors. But as I always say, where there's smoke, there is a potential fire. Um, the one thing I liked about the Miller interview was when he talked about how he was pissed off not getting to 100 points. Um, you know, he said that, you know, he was scored 99 points, you know, had 32 goals. And then, you know, John Scott asked him, what was it like being just one point shy of that 100 point mark? And, you know, it, you know, JT Miller said it sucks because he didn't play, you know, a full season even. Uh, you know, it's it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, and, you know, he talked about how he got, got 9.99 in the first period of the last game. Um, so I thought that that was really cool because you know what? I like guys that are, you know, a lot of guys would go, oh, no, I don't, I don't worry about that. I don't think about that type of stuff. I like guys that are open and honest with me. Hey, yeah, I wanted a hundred points, right? I wanted to score 50 goals this year. I wanted to score 60 goals because that means I hold myself to this standard and I want to obtain it. And it means something to me. We get a, you know, in hockey, there's a big thing about how you can't, be you know you can't be selfish you can't want to have you know score 100 points or you can't want to do this because it could get involved with the team's uh the team's goals right you come across as an individualist when that's not really the case if i'm putting up 100 points a season i'm impacting my team winning games or hopefully uh, in this case for the canucks season he did impact winning games in the second half of the season but um i i really think that that type of mentality is needed in NHL players, you know, be more confident, more, you know, have the personality to say, hey, I expect to score, you know, a point per game a season, or I expect to score 50 goals this year, and I'm going to go do it, right? And, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. That's the type of mentality I want in players. And that's kind of why I would think that JT Miller, you know, deserves to stick around in Vancouver, why I want him around in Vancouver, because he has that type of, you know, personality. Um... Then they dive into, you know, Elias Pettersson when you know, he was asked about what it was like to, you know, play with Elias Pettersson. Um, John Scott said that, you know, I've been his biggest, biggest critic. You know, he doesn't like him, um, that he thinks he has a terrible work ethic, and he's questioned him a lot. And I've never really listened to this podcast. I listened to it because JT Miller was on it, so um, that's why I gave it a listen. But I guess John Scott is not a big Elias Pettersson fan. Um and I think, you know, Boudreaux, you know, Bruce Boudreaux has once said that Elias Patterson is a hard worker, uh, you know, and Miller talked about it, you know, because we they've played together for the last two years and he was the center out, took face-offs, and when I lost it, you know, um, he kind of dived into that. And he said that as we also, this, he was unstoppable. He said about how Patterson was borderline unstoppable, um, how, you know, he's a really good player. Um, and he think the coat, and then, but he didn't really come to the biggest defense of Elias Pettersson, um, from what I saw. He kind of gave him, you know, you know, some compliments. Uh, talked about how he's borderline unstoppable, but he kind of evaded past that work ethic question. So a lot of people are freaking out about that. To me, I, I don't really dive too much into that. Um, I think that is no Elias Pettersson, not the type of guy to like hold a grudge on JT Miller. And JT Miller seems like the type of guy that, you know, he's going to try to compete with his own teammates, right? I don't think he's the type of guy to be, you know, all buddy-buddy and all of them with that. So 
I don't read too much stock into that. You know, he did talk about the coaching change and how, you know, it was a change of atmosphere. Um, you know, you talk about how in the beginning of the season they had a good group with Travis and was respectful, but they were losing every game. Um, and they felt that just the, the ability around Boudreaux uh, changed the team and the organization. So it was an interesting interview. There were some, you know, you know, he said he wants to stay in Vancouver. I know it's been getting overanalyzed and everybody's thinking about it. To me, it's just a guy on a podcast kind of shooting the you-know-what with, um, you know, former players. Um, I still think this situation is a long road down from getting resolved. Um, we saw with Vegas, with Robin Leonard getting injured now, that opens up another pathway and potentially another opportunity for the Canucks to say, hey, you know, maybe the, it's a prime opportunity for us to go for it this year to make the playoffs. Do we run the risk of keeping JT Miller? Do we wait till the deadline and then move him? Um, what do we do? Move into a Johnny Goudreau situation. So what, um, the, so there's so many options, so many plausible ways this can go uh, depending on the rest of the season and uh, the rest of the offseason, excuse me. What we do know is this. He's still a member of the Vancouver Canucks. They're far off on an extension and we don't know what the hell the Canucks are going to do. So I think the way I see this playing out before we go to break, the way I see this playing out is JT Miller is going to come to training camp, do what he does best, play the game of hockey at a very high level. Um, and if injuries happen and teams get desperate and they offer the Canucks what they're looking for, then the Canucks will move him. Do I think they will have negotiation talks before the season is over? Uh, before the offseason is over, excuse me? Yes, I do. Do I think a deal is going to get done? No, because I think JT Miller's asking price is still way too high uh, for what the Canucks are. The last reports I saw was that JT Miller still wants that seven, eight-year max deal where the Canucks are not going to budge over $40 million for probably a five-year deal. So there's still a long way to go. Don't read too much into this JT Miller interview because there's still a long way that <laughs> this story's going to have to go. And speaking of stories, we're going to go down memory lane and be ranking the worst and darkest eras in Canucks history. But first, I want to talk to you guys about the fine folks at betonline.net, which is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every single league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sporting wagering information. From live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet online where the game starts. Okay, we are back. Locked on Canucks, the show that keeps you locked in on all things Vancouver Canucks. Today, I thought we'd go on the negativity train a little bit. Yes, go down, you know, Canucks past and open up the old wounds of which was the worst era in Canucks history. There's been a lot of them, unfortunately. Uh, there's been um, you know, the in infancy to the post-94 uh, mess, pre-West Coast Express mess, uh, post, you know, the mid-80s, lately. Uh, so I thought I would rank 
the worst era in Canucks history. So I'm going to go from the beginning. I'm going to go basically era by era by era. And the last one I do will be the worst. So first, the worst is the, the entire 70s. The beginning of the whole 1970s, the early years, uh, were the Canucks were just the new team on the block. I don't think they were that dark. Um, they were not a good team. They were an expansion team going up against you know original six monsters like the Montreal Canadiens, Boston Bruins, the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, they were not good, as expected. They you know 70, 71, they won twenty four games and they won twenty, twenty two, and twenty four. They were uh, you know they made the playoffs in seventy five, uh, and then they got waxed by the Canadians in five games. Um, you know. I don't really classify this as a dark era because I think especially during that time when uh, the player pool was so small, then it was getting stretched out and stretched out. You're getting basically guys that were at the end of their career or just weren't supposed to be NHL players. Um, and as any expansion team knows, you know, other than the Vegas golden Knights, um, you are going to struggle out of the block because you're developing an organization and you're working your way up to, you know, build your prospect pool, your, Know, your players and stuff like that. So what is that? I give that a pass. It's not really a dark age, but it was a tough, you know, tough couple of years for the Vancouver Canucks because um, you saw the Buffalo Sabres make it to the Stanley Cup Finals in the 70s, and they put up five-plus 100-point seasons before the decade. The Canucks has a C, uh, the highest of 86, of course, in 1975. The next one is got to be after the Canucks went to the Stanley Cup Finals miraculously in 1982, which I said before was just kind of a Cinderella run, uh, they weren't supposed to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. If the Edmonton Oilers did not get upset by the Los Angeles Kings uh, in historic fashion, they would have gone to the Stanley Cup Finals that year, in my personal opinion. I wasn't far from being alive then, just from the research and all that stuff. They were, um, you know, not very good. So... After 82, the wheels kind of, you know, fell off from that period of 1983, 84 to, you know, 1988. Because in 89, they made the playoffs, of course, with Trevor Linden. That, you know, was a spectacular rookie season. Uh, the Canucks averaged 60 points a season. Quite funny enough, the only team that was worse than them uh, was the Toronto Maple Leafs. So there's a little bit of solace in that for myself, being the Leafs uh, hater I am. Uh, the Canucks uh, potentially were horrible. The Canucks were horrible during that span, but they weren't as bad as the Leafs. So um, they had four head coaches. Um, you know, they did not, you know, do anything really of note except trade first round pick, homegrown talent, Cam Neely to the Boston Bruins, where he went on to become a Hall of Famer. But there is some soul. The reason this is not the worst because. There was some good that came out of this because Pat Quinn at the end of the decade uh, took over the Canucks and we all saw how he turned over that roster and built it up into a Western Conference contender and a team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals. You know, they drafted Trevor Linden, you know, they drafted Pavel Bure, acquired Kirk McLean, Greg Adams, Cliff Ronnett, all those players that you all know and love from the 94 team were because of Pat Quinn. And he rebuilt that team up and it eventually went to another, you know, that from eight, you know, 89, they went to a game seven against the Stanley Cup final 
excuse me, finals and champs, the Calgary Flames were, you know, the Canucks got screwed in that game seven where Joel Otto kicked the puck in the net. Um, and that should not have been a goal. Uh, but the Canucks, you know, you saw after that year that there's something special building. Um, and the Canucks, you know, the next five, six years went on a nice run. Unfortunately, after that, we go into the next darkest era of Canucks history. And coming up after this last break, I will explain to you just how bad the next two darkest eras were. So stick around for that. And welcome back to Locked on Canucks, the show that keeps you locked in on all things Vancouver Canucks. Last segment of the show, last two darkest eras, including the darkest era in Canucks history. The second worst or second worst or second darkest era in Vancouver Canucks history was the one that hopefully just ended right now. The Jim Benning era. The Jim Benning era, of course, fell on the heels of the most successful Greatest, most iconic, uh, most wonderful time to be a Canucks fan. The Mike Gillis era, which saw the Canucks reach heights this organization has never reached before. Of course, Henrik and Daniel City winning MVPs. Roberto Luongo, Ryan Kessler, Kevin Bieksa, Alex Burroughs, Elaine Vigneault, 2011 Finals. The battles with Chicago, consistency, consistent, consistently being um, you know, one of the best teams in the Western Conference and the NHL back-to-back presidents, trophy winners. Jim Benning was hired after the tire fire season of 2014, which broke my heart as a fan seeing guys like Ryan Kessler and Roberto Luongo leave. Jim Benning was hired. Um, and funny enough, from, nine, from basically 2000 to 2014, the Canucks were the fourth best regular season team in the NHL. That is very impressive. For a 15-year span, and basically, my entire the beginning of my entire hockey fandom life, the Vancouver Canucks were always, always, always a very good team. So for me, this Benning era was different territory for me. I had never seen the Canucks be this bad for this long, and it sucked. I know people, for example, that lived through the the era before the darkest era that we're going to talk about in a minute. I know people that lived through the, the 80s where they got their asses handed to them by Edmonton on a silver platter all the time. I have heard all about that, but this to me was horrible. In the eight seasons, Jim Benning was under the helm of the Vancouver Canucks. They were ranked 26th overall, and the worst part is they were never truly rebuilding. The Canucks, during those eight-year spans, never once said, we are rebuilding. They were, but he never once said, we are rebuilding. They kept on trying to cut corners to quickly fix it. Guys like Eric Goodbranson, Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, Brandon Sutter, Lucas Spiza. The amount of anchoring contracts that Jim Benning signed that are still screwing the Vancouver Canucks is laughable. It is horrible. Tyler Myers, Braden Holtby, Sven Berchi, Tanner Pearson, Sam Gagne, Michael Delzado, Jason Dickinson, Tucker Poolman. Some of these guys are still on the team. Lyndon Vave. 
The Benning blunders, to me, and just the mismanagement of a league that was becoming more analytic-driven. And I guess I'm not a big analytics guy. I think analytics can help paint a nice picture, but it's not the whole thing. There is There was zero cap management by Jim Benning. You know, he did do some good things. Brock Besser, Elias Pedersen, Quinn Hughes, um, you know, nice drafting. He did. I'll give Jim Benning that. He had... He had an eye for talent in the draft, but the fact that he was unable to understand the salary cap or the CBA and be smart with it after what we just saw with Mike Gillis, where he was a very progressive thinker, Jim Benning and that organization, you know, was bad, but I will give him this. He made the playoffs twice in those eight years. He made the playoffs twice. His first year where they had Ryan Miller and redeemed Verbata and they kind of bounced back. And then Michael Ferland kind of, you know, took over that whole series against Calgary and stuff like that. And then they went on that nice run in the bubble. Um, but that is not the worst era. It does get worse. The worst era in Canucks history has to be the Mark Messier, Mike Keenan era is the worst. By far the worst era in Vancouver Canucks history because not only did the Canucks take the captain and the head coach of the team that defeated them in 1994 they destroyed the organization just a few years later so uh, the canucks you know after 94 were kind of a middle of the pack team kind of where they finished in 94 in the regular season they were kind of a middle of the pack team you know they made the playoffs in 90 in 95 um but they seem kind of stuck so in 1997 Pat Quinn decided to sign Mark Messier to a three-year, $20 million deal. And that, you know, you thought it was from mediocre to being, you know, decent. They went the other way. They went to becoming horrible. Um, you know, Mark Messier, of course, you know, came in uh, and you know, was given the C, stripped Trevor Linden of the C, given the C. Uh, you know, he took a retired number. Tom Rennie was the, you know, Tom Rennie and Pat Quinn were gone. Trevor Linden was gone. Mike Keenan came in. Uh, it was a horrible, horrible time to be a Vancouver Canucks fan. Uh, the team went from being, you know, they had just opened up Rogers Arena, or then GM Place. They hosted the All-Star Game. They had players like Pavel Burry, Alexander McGillney. Um, you know, they had still some decent pieces. Mark Messier. But they, they had a young Marcus Naslin. That team was horrible. They finished at the bottom of the league. That is the reason why they tried to get Henrik. They almost got Henrik and Daniel Sedin because they were they they drove to draft them because they had such bad picks in the such bad positioning in the standings. And it's all things to do with Mike Keenan and Mark Messier, who ruined the team, ruined the organization, took it from being a middle of the road team to the worst team in the NHL. And then Brian Burke comes in and cleans up the mess. And then they began, like I said, that 14 to 15 year period where they were one of the best teams in the NHL. But not it was on the ice, horrible performance, but also off the ice. Trade requests from, you know, from Pavel Bure, losing Alex McGillney, um, losing Trevor Linden. It was just a bad optic and a very, quite frankly, a bad time. Uh, in Vancouver sports history, because at that same period of time, you were about to you were witnessing the end of the Vancouver Grizzlies, the worst NBA team in NBA history, and we saw 
you know, the Canucks be bad and the Grizzlies be bad. And I'm sure the, the Lions were not the best team around then. But um, like I said, it was just a bad time in Canucks franchise history. Because if you think about it, at that time, they're coming off the heels of their greatest feat. Almost winning the Stanley Cup. A new building, new jerseys, new era, new millennium. And they fell flat on their face. And Mark Messier and Mike Keenan were due to that, to ruining it. Um, but like I said, all good. You know, it's cyclical. So new regime comes in, cleans it up. Uh, and they end up going on a 15-year period of dominance that we had never seen before uh, in Canucks land. And we're not dominance, 15-year period of sustained success. Sustained success. Um, so perhaps, hopefully, you know, eight years of, Miss Ford two with the Jim Benning era. Now we begin the Alvin Rutherford era where hopefully um, this now creates another 15 to 20 years of sustainable success and a Stanley Cup championship, which we are all loathing and dying for. So those were all the eras, the darkest eras of Canucks history. Uh, the worst being the Messier-Mike Keenan era. So let me know what you guys think. Was I wrong? Was I off? Uh, well, maybe there's more bad things to come. So who knows? Let me know in the comment section below. That is all the time we have for today on Locked On Canucks. I will see you guys next week. Next, I want you guys to listen to Locked On NHL, where our experts give you a daily 30-minute podcast on all things NHL all year long. Stay up to date on everything in the hockey world. Locked On NHL, your daily 30-minute podcast. Take care, guys. Stay safe. And like I said, I'll talk to you next week.